0: Hello, and welcome to Central. I'm Ben Sloan, an ordained United Methodist pastor in the Western North Carolina Conference, and the purpose of this podcast is to talk about issues that are central to life in Christianity. You may or may not have noticed that last week we did not release an episode. Uh, that was in part because of Thanksgiving, but part uh, too because... Uh, one of my daughters had a fever, and so we just weren't able to come in and be in the office. So um, she's, she's clear, everything's good, everyone's healthy, um, but that is why kind of unexpectedly there was not an episode last week. But this week also is going to be a bit different, and so uh, this week we have a special guest, and it's going to be more of a conversation. So our, our guest this uh, today is Wes Judy. He's a retired Methodist pastor that attends here at Central. Um, one of the things that I find uh, most interesting about him is that he's the the child of missionaries. and so he grew up in South Korea and he just always has a, a wonderful perspective to add because of the the the, the difference of his childhood and um, long life experience and and just in addition, he's a, he's just a very prayerful and compassionate person. and so, um, I, I know that I'm blessed to, to interact with him, and I know that you'll be blessed to, to hear some of his wisdom during this podcast today. So is there anything you would add, uh, Wes, about just to give people some background on who you are? No, I'm just glad to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. So um, this all started because of our the second podcast episode. Um, I, just as a quick refresher, um, in that podcast episode... We talk about the, the four loves. Um, so in Greek, there are four words for love. There's agape, which is often translated as unconditional godlike love. There's philia, which is kind of brotherly love, the love of friendship. Uh, there's storge, which is uh, familial love or the love or affection that you show to dependents. And eros, Is uh, erotic love, romantic love. Um, And in the podcast, I make the argument that Philia is the highest form of love. Um, If you have not listened to that episode, I'd encourage you to go and check that out first because I think you'll get more out of this conversation if you do. But um, with regards to that, I have an email that I received from Wes uh, after that. And I, I'll ask him to, to read it if he can in, so that it's in his own voice.
1: I've been mulling over what you said in your second podcast. I think about love. I have thought of writing, but I haven't been able to put in words why it caused me to disagree. But this quote from ML. King Jr.'s sermon, "Loving Your Enemies" and Richard Rohr's bracket explanation gathered my thoughts together a little better. For me, agape has always been defined has always defined what Jesus said about giving one's life in John 15:13. And Agape is the word John uses in this sentence. And then the quote sort of sets out, how I have understood agape and philia. When Jesus bids us to love our enemies, he is speaking of neither eros, uh, romantic love, nor philia, reciprocal love of friends. He is speaking of agape, understanding and creative, redemptive goodwill for all people. Only by following this way and responding with this type of love are we able to be children of our Father who is in heaven. So that's the email that sparked
0: uh, this conversation, and and I did reply back to Wes and uh, clarified a bit about what I thought, and so I wanna do that for you now as well, and then uh, we'll go on to having a bit of a conversation of where we may have some differences in this regard. So uh, first of all, I would say that the podcast that I presented that second episode is, is definitely an oversimplification of what I believe. Um, I believe in general that God's love is beyond human categories, uh, but I also understand that we need categories to be able to try and get our heads around things. Like if we want to try and emulate God's love, that it's helpful for us to have categories um, to, to help us pick apart what we believe is a part of divine love and what is not. Um, so from that podcast, I would stand by what I said that God's love calls us for rec- reconciliation and mu- mutuality. And I see that those attributes of love as embodied in philia. Um, what I don't stand by from that and, and is, is the, the four Greek categories of love themselves. Um, I don't believe that those categories are necessarily properly used in our contemporary English-speaking society. And so, therefore, to say that one of them, like philia or agape, is the most important, I think is a bit meaningless. Um, and so, um, where I'm coming from in this, let me say the, 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 I believe that the four Greek categories of love has been uh, kind of warped to fit a theological agenda. So for theologians, I think they think of the idea of love as being uh, broken out in four kind of non-intersecting subsets. So you've got agape, philia, storge, and eros. Those are all subsets of the general idea of love, right? And that's helpful because in that category, those categories, we get to say which of these is God's love, that unconditional agape love. But what I suspect, you know, not being a native Greek speaker or anything like that, but, but being a student of languages in general, is that agape is very parallel to our word love. It's, it's a general word for love. Um, and it can include some of those divine elements of love, but it is not exclusively a word for divine or in, unconditional love. And then the other three—storge, philia, and um, um, eros—those are subsets of this general word agape, um, and that they they intersect loosely, but they the, the the three do not encompass the fullness of what agape can mean in in Greek language. Um, so. That's just a, a real brief uh, brief explanation of why I uh, would stand by parts of what I said and not necessarily others in a more full discussion. And so I wanted to start by asking you, Wes, um, is, is my definition of the four loves, um, the way I characterize it being understood by theologians, is that consistent with your understanding of the four loves in Greek? Is there anything you would add? Um, do you think that uh, unconditional love is a good synonym for
1: agape go ahead yeah i think uh i think so uh but for me agape uh absorbs all the others uh into into love and so agape can be misused but for me agape always has that sense of being unconditional love uh, like god's love what god calls us to do and when we love at the very highest level uh and so that's uh, where my focus is when i hear that that's ingrained in me for so long that it still stays there yeah
0: so so if i hear you right you would see there being intersections between agape and philia and very storge nice. and eros but um you would also say that agape is the Best understood is that unconditional godlike love, and um, and so like when you have a you know an ideal marriage, that's that would have eros in it, but would also be a part of agape, the godlike love. Is is that a good characterization? And philia as well.
1: Yeah, as, as where a eros. Yeah, would have all all of them in, in different aspects.
0: Okay, wonderful um what is it do you think in the idea of agape that you are personally attracted to and particularly if there are any kind of stories or anything like that that uh, of, of why you have this this strong association
1: with agape well there's several reasons probably one because i had a professor who for whom it was a very important aspect and so um uh, it sort of got ingrained a long time ago. Uh, and also because uh, it, for me, it explains God's love in a way that makes sense uh, of what Jesus did on the cross, what Jesus did, what God did when he sent Jesus uh, as a gift to the world. Uh, and maybe it's lived out because I have grandparents and parents who both, I think, lived out that love as missionaries and so they saw that as a, what that part, part of their calling to go and share the gospel. Yeah. And so you, so you wanted a word,
0: a special term set apart from the general sense of love to describe that special love that you saw. Is that, is
1: that fair? Well, yeah, I guess so. I didn't think about it being set apart. I just think about it as being the description of mm-hmm. what, what love is at yeah. the highest level for me. Gotcha.
0: Well, I wanted, and I have already sent some of this to Wes, but I want to push these differences a little further just to see if we can flesh out anything interesting. And um, so I I would like to go into a little bit of the evidence for why I look at agape as not being a particular special kind of love, as uh, theologians would say, Um, certainly one that could include God's love, but a more general word, very synonymous with our sense of love. And the first piece of evidence that, um, that I use to come to this conclusion it can be found just by looking in a, con- a con- con- <laughs> excuse me, I'm tripping over more words, a concordance. Um, and for anybody who doesn't know what a concordance is, a concordance is a book that lists out all the times in which uh, a certain word is said in the Bible. And so you've got at the front section of the concordance, you have the English translation for, you know, you can have a word like faith, and it'll list out under faith every place where that word is listed in an English Bible, and it will give you a number that corresponds to the Greek or Hebrew word that faith has been translated from. And then if you go to the back of the concordance, you can see a list of those Greek and Hebrew terms, and you can see where they've occurred. And oftentimes those terms can be translated in different ways. So you'll see a list of the different ways in which those terms have been translated. And so um, if you pull out a concordance, you can look up the word love. And when you do, if you look in the New Testament, which is the the Testament written in Greek, um, you'll find that 90% of the time that love is translated, it's translated from the word agape. And to me, Um, that doesn't really—like, if we consider agape to be a specific kind of theological term um, that refers specifically to to God's unconditional love, it doesn't really make sense to me that it would occur 90% of the times. I feel like you would see those other three words for love uh, more on an even level. Um, To me, saying that 90% of the words we translate as love are agape— it seems to indicate that that those words are more synonymous than theologians would necessarily say. And so um, do you you have any kind of response
1: to that? Well, one of my first thoughts is that uh, I'm not surprised because I think agape underlies uh, what God is doing in the world and how the church has been formed, and so when you write read the Bible and read all the stuff that it says is about God, you're going to find agape as the word that's used most often. Uh,
0: yeah, and and that certainly makes sense. That's a that's a a good counterpoint because you know I mean the Bible is not uh, just general literature where you would hear all about every aspect of. Life. It's particularly about the relationship between humanity and God, and so you would expect to find um, a word about God's divine love more frequently. Um, but I will uh, let's dig into a couple examples of where that occurs. So one example comes from Luke chapter six verse thirty-two, and Jesus says, "If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you?" For even sinners love those who love them, and again, you can pull up in a concordance and see that every love in that sentence, every time the word love occurs, it is translated from the root of agape. Um, and so, to kind of to, to rephrase that, if I instead of reading love, I'm going to read unconditional love. This this could be reread. If you unconditionally love those who unconditionally love you. What credit is that to you? For even sinners unconditionally love those who unconditionally love them. Um, to me, that seems a bit clunky, first of all. Um, but uh, I, I, on a, in a broader sense, I feel like that passage is trying to illustrate the opposite of unconditional love. It's trying to illustrate the fact that sinners have conditional love. That, that because people love them... They love them, right? And and that Jesus is trying to say that we should aspire to an unconditional love. Um, so, but all of those cases, the the word used is agape, and so to me that feels like an illustration of the fact that agape is a more catch-all term than than the specific
1: wa- ways that it's used by theologians. Do you have a response to that? Uh, yep. Uh, for me, uh, maybe unconditional love is. Uh not exactly the right word and it has a sense of sacrificial love. And I think uh, when we have friends, are we? what's being said here is there is a love that, the, that you know even without God's actual presence no, yeah. that says, I care about you, I love you, you're important to me. And that love, I think, can be underlie what Jesus is saying here. That you, you even sinners love each other. They have this touch mm. of God on them. But what credit is that if you love? You know how you care about people who care about you. What's the, what are you going to do? You don't have to learn to care about people who don't care about you. Yeah. And that takes it a step further for me than just saying it's just love. It's it's a, a deep love that that friends have for each other, whether they know God or not.
0: Yeah. So, so in to put it in uh, Methodist terms, you know, there's the, we have this idea of prevenient grace mm-hmm. that that um, that God's love touches us uh, and affects us and draws us towards God even before we can recognize that that is true. That that God is constantly trying to pull us into relationship, and the and the way that that is expressed is through prevenient grace. And so, what I hear and what you're saying is. Um, we can still go with that that more specific understanding of agape in this passage, because even sinners have experienced and do experience that prevenient love and grace from God, and and some of the love that they show, though not completely, may echo and mirror that that divine love.
1: Yeah, because none of us has God's agape love. We're all right. working to strive that, but the issue is that God loves us in such an unbelievable way that somehow we as Christians learn to share that love and and part of that love is out there as a part of creation and so people who don't know God may have that love at times but Jesus is I think making the point here is uh, how do we deal with people who don't love us? Right. And that's the focus, and that's why our agape comes uh, to be the word used.
0: Yeah, well, and certainly, you know, I, mean, I think we 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 both definitely agree that what Jesus here is encouraging is unconditional love. Like no discussion there. That that is that's what um, Jesus is trying to say. It's it's this more nuanced point of what do what does the specific word in Greek mean um, that I think you know we're we're fleshing out here. So um, another example, this is what you alluded to in your email, comes from John chapter 15. Um, I'll, I'll read verses 12 through 14. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So again, in in this passage, every love, every time the word love is used, it's agape. But to me, I feel like this, what he's really describing is philia because he's saying, you know, there's no greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends, right? So to me, that sounds like he's, uh, you know, when we look at it in English, it looks like he's describing the love of friendship. Um, And As I understand, you know, agape is a catch-all word, like, that works. It works to say, to have him use the general word for love to describe the more specific love of friendship. I wouldn't necessarily think that he would have to use the word philia um, to describe philia in a Greek sense where agape is a general catch-all term. Um, But I I feel like there's a bit of a—it's a a little more complicated— if you think of agape as a as a more specific term um, and I'm just I'm curious to hear your take on um, why you think agape is used here and not philia
1: I think it has to do with sacrifice that there's an aspect of, of agape that involves sacrificial giving, and that doesn't seem to be it's there in philia but philia is more friendship of being together and doing things, it doesn't have that ultimate sense that I will give my life for you. Uh, Sorge has, I mean, the same sort of sense right. when you push it as of what would you do for your family or your kids? Uh, uh, how much would you give of your life? We will give all our life. But I think underlying that giving part is the word agape, not filia or Sorge. Right.
0: Yeah, and I mean... Storge is kind of an interesting case. It's not, I don't know that it's used in the New Testament. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. And um, But it, I mean, it's described in the same sort of sense in which I would say that philia here is described by the word agape. He, he certainly talks about familial love and relationship. And, and Jesus is actually more critical of familial love than, than oftentimes... We might expect, you know, I mean, I, just one a- example that comes to the top of my mind is when Jesus' family is looking for him and he's in the middle of a crowd and they say, hey, your family's here waiting for you. And, and, and Jesus says, who are my uh, mother and my brothers and, and sisters? They're, uh, the ones who do the father's will are my mother's and my brother's. And um, and so in, in a sense, he kind of blows off his... Um, his biological family for a, a, a broader um, more theological family. And um, that would have been a critique to the idea of Storge of those days. Um,
1: it, it's interesting to me when you talk about that, my other first reaction is also Jesus on the cross saying to John, "Yeah, here's my mama, she's your mama now, you take care of her. So yes, it, you have to balance sort of what's going on in Jesus's life and how he Sees caring for family. No,
0: no, absolutely. I mean, uh, it, I'm not saying that Storgay is unredeemable, but I think that there's an aspect of storge sometimes that can be, um, that we can disguise self-love mm-hmm. as familial love. And so you see that, I think, oftentimes a lot with parents who will... Um, invest in their children but it's not like they're investing in what their children want or who they are or who they want to be they're investing into their children in a way that reflects on them so you you might see a parent you know paying for a kid to go to a fancy school that the kid doesn't have any desire or or care to go at because of the the connotations of privilege that that uh that reflects on them or you might see a parent pushing a child and investing in a child to learn a sport or a hobby or something like that. And again, it's not so much about the child completely. I mean, I'm sure there's that kernel of love there as we've talked about, but, um, but some of that too is, is a more kind of selfish uh, aspect and, and manifestation. And so that part of Storge, I think is what Jesus is pushing back against, but certainly he loved his family deeply. And that, that, Part of Storgate would have been uh, a reflection of that more divine love that we're discussing so um, the other interesting aspect of this, this John 15 passage is um, in verse 14 where it says you are my friends if you do what I command you so it, again it seems like right there there's this built in mm-hmm. idea of conditionality mm-hmm. and I'm just uh,
1: what would you say about that? Oh, uh, well, I, my first thought was it sounds like the Old Testament in terms of the Ten Commandments where you do this, and then life will be good. Uh, my other thought is that uh, friendship is based on uh, a love that we have for each other. But a lot of times it, there there are conditions that hold it together. Uh that may right. cause it to break or, right. or go different ways. And maybe Jesus is just recognizing that. But basically, I think he's trying to say, you know, I love you. Love me back and do what I and and to the way you love me back is to show that love. Not that I've got to love Jesus and not anybody else. But unless I let that love that Jesus has for me flow out of me and touch other people, then I don't fulfill that part of the yeah. friendship. yeah. Yeah, so, so so I mean, it, it, would it be fair to say
0: from what you just said that you do think reciprocality is an important part of divine divine love?
1: Well, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Oh, yeah. I think God loves us, but it doesn't do God any. God wants us to love God back. Right. And if we don't love God back, how do we, you know? Then we're lo- then we're missing out on something. Right. And, and that's the hard part that we have to deal with is to think about. What it is to love God, and we sometimes put all sorts of conditions on that, or all sorts of uh, ways, steps that we think we have to do. When all God wants to do, us to do is to love God,
0: right, right, yeah, and um, and so in that aspect, I think we we're in a bit more of a point of agreement because what I was, you know, what I was make the argument I was making in the second podcast is that I think that the reciprocality embodied in Philia is a part of this divine love that we're called to and so I, I i hear what you're saying to be that that you see that element of the divine love to be encompassed in agape mm-hmm. and so so that isn't really i mean it's it's splitting hairs over to whether i call it philia or you call it agape but we agree that this is a characteristic of divine love um, so Another example, um, just to keep pushing the conversation further, is uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 43, where Jesus says, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love to have the seat of honor in the synagogues and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. And so, again, in the, this case, agape is used for love. And so, it seems rather strange to, because he, here Jesus is saying, It's bad. That you love the seats of honor in the synagogues and are only out for respect, and so um, I, I struggle to see with how a kind of a more theological view of specific view of agape could fit into that condemnation.
1: Uh, I'm not sure where I want to go with that, or uh, I understand why you have you have that reaction because it does seem out of out of place Uh, uh, unless Jesus just is just saying I take this love that you're supposed to have to care for other people and you've bent it and twisted it Mm. and 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 warped it so it doesn't you're not living it out the way you Mm. are and so it becomes a different way of uh, of trying to say Uh, look at the way you've messed it up or you turn life around and you focus that love on you rather than that love on on god and others
0: right because if you do take agape to be the unconditional love of god that's an even stronger condemnation of what they're doing to use that word and say look you've taken this this divine uh love and you've twisted it and broken it into something that it should not be. And that would come across. I mean, if that's how people understood it, that would come across even harder. Um, I, I, can, I can see that point.
1: Well, there's another thought that I have too, and, and that is uh, Luke wrote Luke, and he, had, he writes in a very high Greek language, and but he's a non-Jew, so he, he's trying to balance two cultures right. when he talks about love and how he uses that, he he may have a different sense out of his Gentile uh, background that sometimes seeps into his writing in Luke.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got one more example then that uh, we can consider, and that's from John 21. So Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? Um, The first two times he asks, Peter, if he loves him, he, he uses the word agape. And the third time he uses the word philia. Um, Peter always answers with philia. So Peter, Peter, in, 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 when, when Jesus says, do you agape me? <laughs> I'm not, not a Greek speaker, but do, do you agape me? Peter says, yes, I philia you. Jesus says, do you agape me? Peter says, yes, I philia you. And then lastly, Jesus says, do you philia me? And, and, well, and Peter doesn't respond that time. But um, I guess where I would come from in this is, um, to me, it kind of it would make sense for philia to be the more specific word in agape, the more general word, because that would lead to a, a, a sense of, of building up, of, of climax in that exchange. So, so Jesus is asking him, you know, do you just generally love me? And then Peter says, I don't just generally love you. I love you like a brother. And then Jesus says, do you generally love me? I don't just generally love you. I love you like a brother. And then Jesus says, do you love me like a brother? And 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 uh, so you get this, this sense of crescendo and climax in the story from that. Um, but if I understand agape to be you know the higher form of love and philia to be a lower form of love then to me that feels like a bit of a diminishment where you've got Jesus is asking him do you have this divine love for me and he says i have a brotherly love for you and he says you have a divine love for me do you have a i have a brotherly love for you and then lastly Jesus, it's like Jesus gives up and says well do you have a brotherly love for me um and to me, that, that doesn't seem to fit the mood of the, um, of the passage. And so, again, you, you've had great responses to all these other ones. I'm curious to know how you would interpret that.
1: Well, you have to figure out why John has this portion here, why he does this. And part of it, you know, people, scholars have said across the way, is the three questions Jesus asked mirror the three Denials that Peter made when Jesus was on trial, and that that's underlies part of the understanding of what's going on here. Uh, and uh, you know, and it's, it's sort of the three, it may maybe comes to a point where it brings Peter that memory back in a way he doesn't want it to be brought back. But Jesus, like lots of things, we have to admit happened wants Peter to get, say that, and then let the forgiveness take place in his life. Uh, maybe for me, the, when Jesus says, do you love me, uh, that, that first time, it's like uh, he's saying, do you understand what forgiveness is about, what, what happened on the cross, that, that this is God's self-giving love that, mm-hmm. I, that I did. Do you understand that love? And Peter like says, I love you like a brother. You know that's because I'm. I don't comprehend that. Right. And, and so Jesus says again, do you do you understand what happened on the cross? That what's going on? Why why you can stand here and I can talk to you because forgiveness is a a basic part of life, and, and Peter still is working hard to understand and, and maybe. He said, I love you like a brother. And he made me remember that he didn't love him like a brother in the courtyard when he said, no, I don't know you. That that wasn't uh, an agape love. He was wearing, it. that was, you know, I just don't want to admit I know you as a person. So Jesus finally comes down and says, okay, you haven't understand that. Let's talk about where you are right now. And he says, do you love me like a brother? And he says, Not nothing. You know, It's like, I don't want to answer that question anymore. But maybe it opens the door for him to begin to see what's going on. And, of course, they didn't speak in Greek. They spoke in Aramaic. Right. So we're playing games with Luke, um, uh, John right here, too. Right. But I still think we can
0: take yeah. the words that John wrote as being a faithful representation of what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, but so, so I, I, I can hear that. So, so maybe Jesus is trying to make this broader point and... and is just not there yet and as, as we see numerous times throughout the gospels um, and uh, and then so at the end Jesus kind of uh, makes a move down to meet him where he's at and and, and makes kind of a, a, a profound point in that way so um, yeah I can kind of see see how that could make sense in both ways um, so those were those were some of some of the evidence that I used for for um, to come to my understanding of the, the four Greek loves. Um, but now I just want to talk a little bit more generally. And so um, in just a general sense, would you say that, that God's love is something that can be fit into human categories or do you think that it's kind of ultimately beyond, beyond our abilities
1: to describe? Well, I think it fits the same way as trying to say that we can describe God. Right, and any time word we use to describe God, even if we say "I am who I am," as you talked about the other week, or "I will be who I will be," that limits God in some ways. Mm-hmm. And any time we try to define God, it limits God. So any time we try to define God's love, I think there's a limit in terms of human, mm-hmm. our human being and our language that limits God. If we say this is the the ultimate answer, okay. it, it's a a broader answer to me.
0: Yeah, yeah. So if we if we do though attempt to make a theological construct for for this ideal love that you see embodied in agape, and I see kind of being absent in the Greek. But you know, a, again, we can create words. That's not a problem. Mm-hmm. So so if we want to create a word for divine mm-hmm. love, um, we can, or we can just say divine love, and that accomplishes the same thing in my book. But um, would you include anything kind of beyond the attributes that we already described? So we said, you know, unconditionality, sacrificial nature, um, reciprocality, that those are all characteristics of the divine love as we understand it. And so um, are there other aspects of that divine love that you, you think are important for coming to a better understanding of it?
1: Well, I think forgiveness is part of of that of the whole thing uh and for me uh i don't know how to fit it in for for me joy uh, mm. has uh, uh, a place in all of that whether it's the what we have when we that love touches our heart and we understand right. it and we can share it uh but there's there's a sense of joy that comes and there's a song i learned a long time ago when in camp or somewhere uh that talks about joy, Jesus and others and you. And it says, uh, J is for Jesus, who should have first place, O is for others, we make face to face. Y is for you, put, in all that you do, put yourself third and spell joy. There's an aspect of that that defines agape, mm. maybe. Yeah, well, and, and let, me, let me jump in and
0: say too, for, for if there's anybody listening that's not really versed in church speak, um, I think that there's kind of an important distinction to be made between joy and happiness, mm-hmm. right? Oh, very and, much. and so, um, joy is is not necessarily that um, kind of emotional high that we may receive at sometimes that we associate with happiness. But joy is kind of a, 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 a deeper, more persevering gladness in in God. And I mean, is that a fair characterization when you when you talk about joy?
1: Yeah, I think joy is much more than happiness, and maybe part of it is simply. Well, we were saying uh, there I've got the joy 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 that deep down in my heart it's something that that touches you yeah. but that but it has nothing to do with that. you can be joyful even in the worst circumstances right. of life
0: yeah
1: and which is one of the things Paul says in first Thessalonians. right Thessalonians. you can be sad
0: or you can be depressed and you can still have joy yeah. mm-hmm. um, one of the things that I would say about that on uh, un- Unconditional Godlike love that I think is important too to uh, illustrate, from my perspective at least, is that I think that God's divine love is something that is always for um, collective benefit. So it, you know that that God's divine love always works for the good of everyone, right? Um, even whether we, we we may or may not recognize that at the time, but it is always something that works for the good of everyone. And so, you know, we often in society think about there being good guys or bad guys, and and the good guys can win and the bad guys can lose. I, I see that as being kind of contrary to the message that I find in the Bible, where um, I think that when God's love reigns, that everyone wins, that there, is, there are no losers, that... Um, and so I don't know if you think that that is a fair addition to our word of divine love.
1: Yeah, I would just think we better not read the Psalms. Uh, but.
0: <laughs> no, I mean certainly there's there are counter voices to that, but uh, uh, but, uh, but I,
1: I agree with what you're saying. Uh, that that I think love is not me and mine, and I've got mine, and you don't get yours. So that means I'm loved and you're not. It, it has to do with being shared by all of us. And that's what undergirds being the church is not, I'm, I've got mine and you don't have yours, but it's, we've got this to share together.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, great. Um, I just want to say thank you for coming in and,
0: and hashing out this dis- the, this discussion with me. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. And um, and I, you know, I, now I don't know what to think. You know, I, 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 I certainly think that what I've presented is, is a, a defensible way to look at the the Greek terms of love, but I also do see good reason in everything that you lifted up about agape. And so um, it's a fun, stimulating conversation. And I know as I continue to read scripture, these are kind of questions and things that'll be running through my mind um, because it, it's it's just a joy to be able to, um, to have this kind of theological exploration. And so... Um, in a general sense, if you're listening along, if you've made it through our conversation this far, congratulations. Thank you for sticking with us. Um, but also I'd encourage you to email me your comments and questions. And if you have disagreements that can lead to, to, to great points of discussion like this one. And so you can email me at central.umc.podcast at gmail.com. You may end up a guest or also, if there is a, a topic that you'd like me to cover um, in a future one, either with a guest or without, let me know. Uh, I would love to hear that too. And I'd just love to hear your general feedback about how you think the podcast is going or um, if there, um, you know, if, if you like kind of this more dialogue approach or if you, you like what I've been doing with the other ones, um, that feedback will be really helpful in making this be um, as, as good a podcast as it can be. Um, And as as a last note, um, one of the things that I I, uh, appreciate about Wes is that he um, he has a love for classical music and opera, and so one of the things that I've been doing on the podcast is I've been using as background music uh, classical MIDI files and using that for for musical accompaniment, um, in in part because it's free, (laughs) because it's out of copyright, and so... Um, I've asked Wes if he would um, share a, uh, a classical pick, and I put him a bit on the spot. And I don't know that he has. Do you have an answer now, or you'll you'll Not come yet. back? You'll get back to me. He'll get back to me, and hopefully we'll have uh, a special request for that uh, that classical music for this episode. Um, well, the last thing I do do want to ask you, Wes, is would you share us a benediction?
1: I'll be glad to. Oh, God, we thank you for your love for this whole world. And we see that love, especially at this time of the year when we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And we thank you that that love can touch our lives and change our lives and make a difference in the world and in how we treat people and how we react to people as well as in how we get along with you. Bless all the folks that hear this. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen, and thank you again, Wes. You're welcome. Bye.